Hi there, and welcome to this episode of Take Home Reading, a new audio series from the Wheeler Centre. In each episode, we'll be speaking to an Australian writer about their latest book and hearing a reading from it. This podcast was recorded on the traditional lands of the Kulin Nation. The Wheeler Centre acknowledges their elders, past and present. We pay our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and to the elders of all lands this broadcast reaches. I'm Stella Charles and I work in the programming team at the Wheeler Centre. Usually I host our monthly reading series, The Next Big Thing, but since we haven't been able to gather together for a few months now, we thought we'd bring these readings to you instead. Today I'm chatting to Georgina Young. Georgina is a 25-year-old writer and multidisciplinary artist living in Melbourne's outer suburbs. Lona, her debut novel, was last year's winner of the Text Prize for an unpublished manuscript and was released in August with Text Publishing. Hi, Georgina. Thanks so much for joining me. Hello. Tell us a little bit about your book, Lona. Uh, All right. So Lona is about a young woman called Lona uh, who is 19 years old. She lives in Melbourne and she's dropped out of art school and is essentially just trying to work out what she's doing in life. And the novel follows her and her relationships with various people in her life. You won the 2019 text prize with this manuscript. Congratulations. It's a pretty huge deal. Um, I'm curious, what was that experience like for you? Did you have any expectations going in? Yeah, it's it's been very exciting um, and also just just a bit bewildering because I'm, I'm very new to all of this. Um, and so it's sort of just been like a year and a bit of just sort of like learning how the industry works as I go along. Um, and I don't really know if I had any specific expectations, but, you know, I've just, everyone at Text has been so enthusiastic and supportive of Lona and I'm just really happy with how it's all come together. I mean, it's been, it's, it's, yeah, it's been fantastic, but also just a bit sort of like increasingly surreal as this year progresses and it's, and it's happening, but it's sort of also not happening, but yeah, it's, it's been really great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I can imagine. It's a weird time to have a, a first book out in the world. Um, <laughs> the style of this novel is really fresh the story is told from your main character, Lona's point of view, and broken into these short vignettes almost, each with their own title, which for me felt very filmic to read, like distinct scenes, um, which I really loved. Her observations are very frank and funny. Um, and I think there's she has a really dry, witty tone throughout that constantly made me laugh, but I also found deceptively moving. I'm really curious at what point this distinct voice came to you and the style of the book. Was that always there from the start? Um, yeah, I guess there were kind of a couple of, cause I thought of the idea, I guess a couple of years before I actually started properly writing it. And in that time I'd done a couple of experiments with different sorts of styles and there was one which was a bit more sort of like literary and overwrought. Um, and then, but when I actually went and started it, I'd sort of had this idea of, um, I don't know. I find often that the character and the voice feed each other. And so they inform as you're getting a grasp on both. Um, and so the style I think came from Lona and Lona comes from the style. And it's just, I think there's sort of almost like a analytical kind of way of thinking with her, which sort of manifests in, in almost dissecting language and sentence and structure of the novel as it goes along. 
I'm keen to know what kinds of things you were reading while working on Lona. Are there any specific books or writers that influenced this particular writing style or narrative? Um, yeah, I think one of the biggest influences would have been um, a novel called The Basic Eight by Daniel Handler, um, the American author who I who I really love. Like as a kid, I used to read his series of unfortunate event books that he wrote as Lemony Snicket and I've rediscovered him um, as an adult. And like The Basic Eight is basically a bunch of school friends um, but it's kind of dark and darkly funny and it's a bit creepy and, but it's got his sort of like this very hypnotic kind of magnetic prose. And I was just very impressed with the way, like you can tell that he really loves language um, and just like the structure um, of, of books and of words and sentences. And, and that really kind of, um, inspired me. I think often when I read a good book, I'll then be encouraged both to read more and write more. And I think sort of experiments after reading that led me to discover this kind of playfulness that um, has sort of manifested in Lona. Yeah, it's it's very playful to read as well. I've been really struggling with my attention span in isolation. <laughs> and um, I think there's something about um, the way that this book, I think it does feel like your short sort of sharp sentences and this, the, the effect of these vignettes made it feel really effortless to read. There's no labour there. And I think that playful experience for you in writing it really comes across for the reader as like quite, I feel like I tore through this faster than I've been able to read things over the last few weeks, which yeah, was was really fun. <laughs> Um, the text prize is for young adult manuscripts, um, but Lona is being published as adult fiction or just regular fiction. Um, did you, did you imagine who your readers might be as you were writing this novel? And I'm curious how you feel about the distinction between YA and fiction in general. Yeah, I, I didn't deliberately write it as a YA novel. I don't think, um, I had any specific kind of um, age group for the audience in mind. Um, in my latter teens and early 20s, I sort of became sort of very interested in stories for that age because I thought there was kind of a lack of them for those interim years between high school and sort of adulthood because um, often they're either sort of marketed YA or adult and I think that sort of impacts on how they come across as stories. Um, mm. But, yeah, so I, I was sort of obsessed with writing that, that narrative of that time of life. Um, but it was suggested to me that I could possibly enter it into like a YA sort of prize. And I thought, oh, yeah, I guess it could classify as that. Um, but, yeah, I, I wasn't specifically right. I just sort of just saw where it went with the novel. Um, and it's been interesting to sort of observe how it's sort of defied categorization in that way and people are sort of struggling to work out where it sits. Have you been able to read over the last few months? I'm curious if there's anything in particular you've found comforting to read while in isolation. Yeah, um, yeah, I've been reading quite a bit. Um, and because over the past couple of years, I've been trying to get through like the stacks of books that I'd accumulated because I was just like, enough is enough. I need to get through these. Like I've got like a massive to read like stacks of books. 
Um, and I'm sort of getting towards the end of it now, which it's been a long time, but, um, I had all these sort of like classic novels left. So I've been, I've just finished like Little Women and, and Rebecca and I read Lady Susan a bit earlier and Miles Franklin, um, my career, my brilliant career, my career goes bung, which were fantastic. Um, and just like between that have been reading a lot of sort of sci-fi and fantasy. Cause I did a book swap with a friend just before the second lockdown. Um, that's a great and idea. And just got a big stack of those, which has been good. <laughs> before I ask you to read an extract from Lona, I just wanted to acknowledge, um, I think the funny coincidence of having a book about a character with social anxiety, who's, you know, attempting to isolate herself from others released into a world where at the moment, at least everyone's subject to mandated social isolation. I'm sure this will come up a little bit for you over the next couple of weeks, but yeah, I'm curious how you feel about that. Yeah, it is very interesting. Like, um, it's sort of, it is about, um, you know, aloneness and, um, how aloneness can be sort of energizing or invigorating to like creative processes or just to, you know, like sense of self. And so, yeah, it is definitely an interesting time for that book to sort of come into this weird world that we are living in. Do you feel creative? While yes, you've been it's isolated? taken me a while, but yeah, yeah I, ha- I feel like I've finally gotten back to it. I think just sort of the disruption, like even though my routine essentially hasn't changed that much, just sort of the general disruption going around. But um, yes, no, I feel like I've finally come back to a place now where I'm like getting things done, which is good. Amazing. I'm pleased for you. <laughs> I'd love you to read an extract from Lona for us. Is there anything you'd like to say to set it up? Uh, yeah. So I'm going to read a little bit from towards the beginning uh, where Lona and her best friend Tab uh, have are going to a concert together and probably doesn't need that much explanation because it's still sort of setting up the characters at this point. Uh, I'll just say that, yeah, we mentioned before, you know, there's little sort of subheadings and little sections which you'll sort of hear as it goes along. The big chunk. Tab messages in a flurry of text. She much prefers the flurry to the big chunk of text. The flurry is in deep synchronicity with her rapid mind fire. She messages, where are we meeting? What time? Are we getting dinner? How much do I owe you for ticks? All four texts are time stamped, 5.39 p.m. Lona prefers the big chunk response. She likes to agonize over particular words and ensure that she is making herself clear. It is one of Lona's great fears that she is not making herself clear. She never wants anything she says or writes or types or does to be misconstrued. Misconstruction leads to miscommunication and embarrassment. She messages, how about Richmond, 7.30? Yes, dinner sounds good. Smiling face, anything's good with me. $25, you can just buy me food. The text is time-stamped, 5.54 p.m. Learn to make sure that she answers every query in a separate sentence in the order that they were fielded so as to avoid confusion. This is messaging etiquette. If more people followed it, the world would be less fucked. Tab messages, awesome, see you there. The band. They're onto their fifth song of the night. It's the favourite of everyone here who hasn't listened to the whole album. Lorena is waiting for the second track off their first EP, a completely underrated masterpiece in her opinion. Their new stuff is good, but it's not as crunchy and commanding as the early stuff. Tab recently explained to her that taste is just another name for internalised misogyny. So that smug feeling she gets now, hearing the crowd sing back the lyrics to a song that is too mainstream and not the band's best, is really just a manifestation of self-hatred. Good to know. Tab's there too, dancing in the dark. Her hair's everywhere like always. 
desert red and bum long and straight where it likes and kinked where it likes. She grins at Lona, pumps her legs, dances like she's in a Charlie Brown cartoon. Lona sways like there's a rod in her spine, twitches from the neck, left and right, brain hitting the sides of her skull. When she sings along, she's got all the words, knows exactly where the licks curl and the beats kick to life. Lona loves this band more than anything. To her, they are the greatest band humanly possible. She's watched everything they've ever said or sung or done on YouTube, even the shaky cam concert footage, even their guest program slot on Rage. They are arguably the sole reason Lona gets up in the morning. This is their only Melbourne show. This is so great, she says to Tab between songs. Tab agrees, this is so great. There's a difference between what they're saying, even though the words are the same. When Lona says, this is so great, she's trying to articulate that she cannot even comprehend this evening and what it means to feel big, big love for a concept instead of a thing that has the capacity to love you back. When Tab says, this is so great, she's saying, this is so great. An unintentional flurry. Despite preferring the big chunk, Lona occasionally opts for the flurry of messages when excited and or drunk. As the set progresses, she loses several increasingly incoherent messages to Samson. Let's do coffee. Coffee tomorrow. Are you free tomorrow? Tomorrow. Coffee tomorrow, okay. Tab doesn't ask who Lona is messaging because she probably assumes it's her mother. Lona rarely messages anyone other than her mother. If it's not her mother, then she's messaging with Tab and Tab is currently being told to put her hands in the air and so her fingers are nowhere near her phone. Tabitha Brooks. Tabitha Brooks is a wild woman. In solidarity with her best friend, she's adopted the second track off the band's first EP as her favourite, to Lona's begrudging approval and mild ir irritation. When the song plays towards the end of the set, Tab turns to Lona and grins. Tab is of the belief that friends must share what is most important to them. And moreover, that there is no must about it. Friends simply do. Lona does not like to share, particularly with friends. Sharing, when sanctioned, is on the terms of the giver. The terms being, A, that Tab may be allowed to like this band, but she cannot like it as much or as fervently as Lona does. B, that her opinion cannot be sought above Lona's on the topic when it arises at parties. It never does. Tab doesn't fully understand the extent of Lona's mental arithmetic, the distorted thinking that occupies her mind. Even as she listens to her favourite song, Lona is thinking about how she will describe this night later to anyone who asks, how she will insert it into conversation if no one asks, the likelihood of Samson being here this evening. Very low, considering he hadn't heard of this band when Lona mentioned it back in February. He doesn't go out much. He lives five train stations away. Stranger things have happened. Whether this is even her favourite song anymore, and the fact it is so hot in here that Tab's hair is glued to her forehead, there are dark, invisible circles under each of Lona's arms. Tab is having fun. Encore. The band plays an encore, which is simultaneously infuriating and gratifying. It's not like anyone could see it coming when they walked off stage without playing either of their biggest hits. Lona gulps down what's left of her now warm cider and stamps her feet with the rest of the room. One more song. One more song. Her phone vibrates in her pocket and she tugs it out, stares at the screen. A message from Samson. Shit. What's up? Tab holes into her ear. Lona reads the reply. Apparently she's doing coffee tomorrow. Samson, she shouts. Tab nods. Nerd from uni? Nerd from uni, Lona confirms. The nerd from uni is making her insides squelchy. She jams her phone back in her pocket so she doesn't have to think about him and those three simple words. Sure, sounds good. It's too easy to make it difficult. Or alternatively, she's too difficult to make it easy. The drummer comes back onto stage and bangs his sticks together. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. And here we go again. The train ride home. 
There are few things in the world that Lona likes more than the train ride home. It means that the night is over, and however good the night is, Lona is always glad when it's over. She and Tab sit side by side, Tab's head on Lona's shoulder, and Lona's eyes out the window. Tab hums, and Lona thinks. Thank you so much, Georgina. That was brilliant. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You've been listening to Take Home Reading, a Wheeler Centre audio series. That was Georgina Young reading from her debut novel, Lona. It's published by Text Publishing and available now. Please shop local and support new Australian work. We'll be back soon with another episode of Take Home Reading. Until then, visit wheelercentre.com for the best in books, writing and ideas from Melbourne, Australia and the world.